You are listening to the Choose and Become podcast, where your host, Trish Kendall, an expert on creating enduring success and an international keynote speaker, unearths the inspirational stories of her guests as they share their journeys to enduring success with us and the lessons we can apply in our lives. Here is your host, Trish Kendall. Hi, everyone. This is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. I made five critical choices on my journey to enduring success. I picked up the phone. I committed to a two-way agreement. I built trust in myself and I inspired the trust of others. I created community and belonging. And finally, I embrace my boundless capacity to give love and to receive love. In this interview series, my guests, people who I admire, share a little bit of their insights and wisdom as it relates to these five choices across their lives. And so today I, Imran, I'm so honored to have you. Today I have Imran Qureshi, the head of North America for WTW. Imran, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Will you just start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. And Trish, thank you for having me. It's just a pleasure to be part of this. And uh, and also, we've known each other for a long time. So it's it's great that we've um, most recently reconnected as well. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, tell from the accent, uh, while I'm based in Chicago, I'm not a native Chicago, and I was born and raised in the United Kingdom. And my mother is from Trinidad in the West Indies. My father uh, migrated from India in 1948 when the country split to Pakistan, but he made his way to Britain in the 60s and he met my mother there. And uh, I, I was first to go to college um, and embarked upon a career in the actuarial field and then moved across to the United States in 97. So um, the immigrant experience has actually been not only part of who I am today, but is part of my parents as well. And um, and that that seems to have been just a, a quite a defining part of my past. But um, but yes, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. It's great. And, and you said it. we've known each other for a while. You have been an example to me, both professionally and personally, about just what it means to create success in your life. Will you share with us what does enduring success mean to you? So. Uh, yeah, as I've reflected on that over the last few years, uh, I want to maybe share a, a story that really led me to realize um, the essence of that question. So I was having dinner with a friend, and um, he asked me a question at dinner that uh, I really did not know how to answer. He asked me, why do you do what you do? And as I contemplated the response, he provided his view around what, why he does what he does. And it really was a broad statement around the impact he was seeking to make on the world. And as I reflected on it, I really didn't have a sense of my why. And I felt you know, somewhat in, inadequate in some respects. And it was a very jarring moment as I um, introspectively spent time over the year thinking about that why. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, as I um, crystallized it, it really wasn't about what I was doing, but it was about how I was doing it. And so I crystallized it as to unlock and unleash the power and potential in others so that they can realize their own purpose. And uh, I actually iterated on that uh, a few years ago um, and appended something to that, which was while experiencing moments of joy along the way. And, and so for me, that encapsulates what enduring success is. When I lean into that, when I live that purpose, that's when I feel like I'm being personally successful. When I stray from that, that feels like I detract from that success. So it becomes my anchor points as, as, I, as I try and navigate life. Yeah. Yeah. And when we reconnected, so we had gone a while, maybe seven or eight years, because as we say, life gets in the way, which I right. of course corrected that. But when we reconnected a few years ago, I remember distinctly you sharing that purpose with me and the joy addition, which I just thought, just hit me hard. So thank you. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, I made a first choice that changed the trajectory of my life. And my first choice was to pick up the phone. Now, since then, I've made other first choices. And I'm curious, what is a first choice that you've made when you reflect back, you know, has impacted your enduring success? So Choices, in my view, are, are both conscious and subconscious. So when I chose to leave the United Kingdom to come to live in the United States in 97, in many respects, as I mentioned previously, I was following what my parents did. They left their countries of birth and their families to chart a new life in Britain. They sought economic prosperity and career growth, and, and I did the same. And so to some extent, I reflect on whether that was a subconscious decision. As I look at a more conscious decision, I think living, coming back to my purpose, I would say my first conscious choice of magnitude was to lean into living my purpose. So I got involved with um, organizations such as the Posse Foundation, which is this amazing organization. And, um, and started to get more involved in impacting students in high schools and getting them to college and to be successful there. I started um, teaching high school kids. I actually taught a class on the seven habits of highly effective teens, ah. which was um, which was really just uh, just fulfilling um, and being able to engage with teens around. Uh, a subject matter that isn't taught in classes, but it is about trying to realize your own purpose. Um, I, I, I was involved in impacting diversity, equity, inclusion on a school board. But uh, I, I think one of the, the most intentional things I've done is being very conscious about my interactions with others. And look, I'm, I'm not perfect at this, but I strive to have meaningful, substantive interactions and that's a choice, right? That's an intentional choice. So we're, I, I would say that the, the overarching frame here is being conscious about living um, my purpose as being a choice. And you 
are so intentional with your interactions. Every time we interact, and I even observe you with others and your interactions with them and mm -hmm. some of our mutual friends and peers. The second choice that I made was to commit to a two-way agreement. And that two-way agreement was between me and my sister. And I experienced the force of a two-way agreement. And for me, it really transformed the feeling of uh, doing this out of duty and obligation to doing something out of joy and desire. You and I have talked about two-way agreements. What's a two-way agreement that you have committed to? So, so this was, I mean, by the way, these, these questions are incredibly impactful. They're not easy to answer. You need to really dissect and reflect and be introspective around them. So I just credit you with just even framing the question oh. in the way that you have done. So, um, you know, the, the way I think about commitment and these two-way agreements, I think there, there, there are certain things that we do that we feel like we have to do. So I think about, I have to exercise, I have to eat better, I have to sleep better. I mean, eat, you know, even my purpose, I have to, to, to live about that, li live my purpose. But, but it is about a higher level of delayed and, and deeper sense of happiness. It's not an immediate payoff. So this, this idea that we do things when we, when we want to do them, we're not necessarily getting immediate gratification. There's, there's this um, Stanford professor, um, uh, actually a psychologist in 1972 did the marshmallow test, which was an experiment on delayed gratification. It was in, in the 1970s. And um, in this study, a child was offered a choice between one small but immediate reward or two small rewards if they waited for a period of time. And during this time, the researcher left the room for 15 minutes and then returned. The reward was either a marshmallow or a pretzel stick, depending on the child's preference. In follow-up studies, the researchers found that children who were able to wait longer for preferred rewards tended to have better life outcomes. And Carol Dweck, um, who wrote The Growth Mindset, she also picked up on that same idea that there's this idea of um, delayed gratification. So as I think about a, a, uh, uh, the idea of a two-way agreement and this shift from I have to to I want to, to me, I, you're, you're setting up an agreement that with yourself that you are not um, seeking immediate return, immediate gratification. You recognize that what you're doing through a conscious choice is going to lead to longer term, sustainable, more positive outcomes that provide a deeper sense of gratification. And to me, that all links back to purpose and, and what I'm trying to do. Totally. And you, you said it. I mean, even I would say probably especially committing to a two-way agreement with yourself yeah. is not always easy. And in fact, it's probably really hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It. it is. It is. Um, and and I think it's a you know you're constantly resetting, right? We we you sort of it's it's never a linear projection around just uh, this idea of just enduring success. It's it's a reset. So you 
you go like this, you may dip, and then you hit the reset button and you go back up. And, <laughs> and you, you know what helps with that hitting that reset button? Surround yourself with people that can help you hit that reset button. And so, yeah, even my interactions with you, Trish, and the conversations we're having, it helps me do that. And, and then that helps me then reestablish that two-way commitment, that two-way agreement with myself to be able to then continue on that trajectory. That's awesome. And continue to stay grounded in your purpose. Right. Because you energize yourself and then you continue to move forward and you can right. inspire and motivate others. And it's, it's a cycle. Hmm. I struggled very much uh, for you know all the reasons this community knows around trust. Trust was a not just a foreign concept to me, but but it it, it just I learned to not trust. And so the third deliberate choice I made was to build trust in myself, and then that led to learning how to inspire the trust of others. Was there ever a time? you needed to build trust in yourself? And if so, how did you do it? Um, I, yeah, as I reflect on this, I think self-doubt hmm. has always been an important prerequisite for growth for me. So uh, you know, when you can overcome self-doubt and when you can gain the ability to trust yourself, you gain confidence. So, and I've experienced that Every, in every new role I've taken, any new endeavor I've experienced, and I've come to accept it and lean into it. So when, when I don't trust myself, when I experience self-doubt, to me, it's like, that's, that's great because that is part of um, growth. And I know from a year from that point, I will have gain the confidence in myself and built trust in myself that I'll be stronger for it. Um, but, the, but the idea of, of trusting myself as well does mean that I have to take risks. I think there, there's actually, there's a, there's a piece to that and it's all around growth. And I remember coming across uh, an individual, uh, this is quite a few years ago, who talked about um, the idea if you don't make a decision within the first five seconds of thinking about it, then your brain will talk you out of it. And it could be really simple, right? It could be saying something in a meeting or expressing a view that is uh, contrarian. And, uh, and what this individual said was that what will help is neurologically is that you don't just say it within five seconds, you accompany it with movement. Ooh. And I, by the way, I'm very gesticular, right? I think it's uh, my, my Trinidadian mother and, and her roots. Um, so I tend to use my hands a lot. Um, but but by, by doing that, by accompanying um, a thought within the first five seconds, you take a risk. And when you start to take more risks, you start to build more trust in yourself and you gain confidence in yourself. So it's that sort of, that that's something I try to do um, is, is to lean into that. And I, and and it's you know it's again it's a work in progress it's always like trying to think about how knowing that um trust is something that you have to build 
So you look for these techniques to win, in which to do it, but you also don't get discouraged the fact that you don't have trust in yourself or, or, or you are, uh, or you lack a certain confidence in yourself because that's just part of growth. So just accept it and then, and then learn from it and grow from it. Ah, oh, this is one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on because I, I, you know, you are Imran, head of North America for WTW and all the other things that you do for the community and all the things that you do around you. And just for others to hear you say you struggle with self-doubt and you choose to take a risk to take action. I just think it's powerful. And we're both parents. I think about that with our kids, with our children, you know, and I know you've been such an example to both of your kids too. Do you, do you know my my um I said to my kids, this was quite a few years ago when they were young and then playing sports or whatever they 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 do. My both kids played chess, for example, and whether they're trying to do an exam at school. And I'd say to them, you, you're gonna experience self-doubt, you'll experience nervousness, but channel it, channel that, and recognize that's just an important actual energy that you 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 experience and you can use that energy and um my daughter still uh, reflects on that today in in everything she does she will say that very point that she knows that she's when she's experiencing it but she uses it to her advantage and channels it and i i think that's um that's an important part in building trust in yourself now, how, so this is building trust in yourself. How do you inspire the trust of others? So to, to me, it has to be grounded in authenticity and a set of values that you stay anchored to. And so when, you, when you're able to um, articulate positions without agendas, when you're able to um, be mindful through your interactions with others. When you engage in authentic conversations and substantive ones, then uh, I think you build a level of trust with others because then they feel um, they feel less vulnerable to be able to engage with me, and and so so I hold that trust dearly, right? And then, but it, to me, it is about being authentic i the the other thing that fuels me around authenticity is is curiosity so i i like i like to learn about people learn about their perspectives and i look for connection points through that learning so when i'm engaging in dialogue and i met somebody over the weekend um we we went to a chicago fire game oh was, and it uh, was the most it, it was yeah the weather was horrible but we're at this at, at at this game, and I met somebody, and we in random. I was there with my daughter, and we got into this discussion and dialogue. What do you do? What do I do? And we started talking, and I was curious. I was asking questions. Where are you from? And this person um, was actually born in Trinidad. Oh. Who would have thought it? And we started then engaging in this just wonderful conversation um, about food. Because that's 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 a connection point, right? So then you you and I was genuinely curious, and and through that curiosity came authenticity, and I think a, a level of interaction that was real. And I walked away from that saying that was a 
uh, a really impactful human experience. And so I guess that's a long-winded way of saying oh, it. It's, <laughs> it's fabulous and curiosity and care. If you're yeah. curious and you care enough to learn about the other person, oh my gosh, this manifests across all of our lives and mm. our professional roles, inspiring trust with clients, inspiring trust with our children, inspiring trust with our community. Uh, the fourth choice I made, because this rolls right in there, is to create community and belonging. When I was in my 30s, I, I had created more professional success than I ever thought imaginable. I was like, whoa. <laughs> but when I looked around, I realized that I was friendly with everyone. I was friends with no one. I didn't belong. And I wanted to. Was there ever a time that you felt like you didn't belong? Well, yes. Um, so growing up in Britain, in the uh, 70s and 80s, in a society that was still, you know, relatively segregated to some extent, um, where you weren't considered British unless you were, frankly, white. Mm. And so um, my my father being from Pakistan, my mother from Trinidad, um, living Britain, raising me, you had all kinds of dynamics going on there. So you had the dynamic of not being considered British. Um, I also had the additional dynamic of not necessarily fitting in with either the Pakistani community, because I didn't speak Urdu, um, which is the language of Pakistan, or the Trinidadian community. So I was sort of in this, in this area of not really belonging to any community. And, and, and it's something I've been very cognizant of growing up. And then, um, and then when I came to the United States as well, which is a, a melting pot, you, you meet people from all kinds of backgrounds and, um, and all kinds of um, uh, different various uh, ethnic backgrounds that have intermingled. And, and so you gravitate to people that have similar dispositions. And so there's, there's almost like, uh, you know, communities that you build with individuals that either that that have just different diverse experiences um there's this there's this great movie um it was a few years ago it was it's called blinded by the light and it's about a kid in britain of pakistani parents growing up in britain um born in britain and who who becomes obsessed with Bruce Springsteen that's not me by the way I don't <laughs> Bruce Springsteen no you're but. a big beatles fan Beatles, Beatles, um, that, and that's thank my parents for that. The, the right. Beatles were um, uh, were a big band when they first uh, came to the UK. But this movie was um, about the this kid and this um, juxtaposition of not being white but growing up in Britain, and yet having a parent parents with traditional backgrounds and and that tension and. Um, and this, this, it's about that experience, but it's also about Britain at that time, which was you saw in this movie what it was like, and it was it was challenging. And I remember experiences like that growing up. So that just that builds resilience, um, but but it also builds um, this this recognition that you may not necessarily fit into a neat little category or a neat little community, but that's okay because there are others that feel exactly the same. 
And so you, you tend to find them and then you create community in that way. So you gave us both sides, not belonging and belonging. What does it feel like not to belong? What are some of the adjectives? Like, what does it feel like mm. not to belong? It's a good question. Um, I think it feels like um, you feel disconnected. Um, there could be a sense of um, uneasiness, of frustration, of um, lack of confidence in yourself. Um, and yeah, I said, remember the earlier part of the conversation that we talked about how we need to surround ourselves with people that can help you hit the reset button. And when you don't have that community around you, you don't have that ability to do that as easily. Mm -hmm. So it, it can feel lonely. That's probably a good way of describing it, right? This sense of loneliness. Um, and so I think it is important to feel a sense of belonging and whether that be belonging in the community in which, which I referred to, you can feel belonging with the people you work with. You can feel belonging with your family. You can feel a sense of belonging in just many different contexts, but you have to, you have to be intentional about that, right? You have to be cognizant of, of that, of that, because when you're cognizant of it, I, I think you, you, you start to feel that sense of belonging because you've intentionally leaned into those respective communities. And I think there are multiple communities, right? And, so, and I just listed off a number of there. It's not just one community. There are communities and sometimes the circles of those communities may never intersect. Totally. That's okay because they each represent a different facet of your life. Um, and then you just, you, you just got to lean into that. You know, one of the things that I've been trying to be more intentional about, I'll just throw this out there for a second, is trying to find the times to cross pollinate mm -hmm. the, the different communities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe there is, you know, a couple of my neighbor friends that I'm able to invite to, I'm just going to say my church community, you know, for mm -hmm. Christmas or, or whatever, something mm -hmm. like that. That's a simple example. But trying to be intentional about yeah. interacting these communities to elevate their sense of belonging mm. and community that, mm. you know, so it's just something that I try to reflect on. I'm not always great at it. Mm. <laughs> I try to, but I try to do but it. But it also, what, what sparked the thought there when you mentioned yeah. that was when you, when you do that, when you bring individuals from um, outside, from multiple communities, yeah. you're enriching the experiences of those interactions because they're inherently diverse. Yes. So, so those individuals um, who may have may associate with more individuals like them are now being mixed with or being exposed to other communities, and that just enriches the the overall community. That is the very definition of diversity. Oh, that's awesome. Now, in my experience, when I deliberately created my first community, the Marathon Girls, which, which you know about, when I deliberately created my first community and that sense of belonging, what I learned is that I get by giving. Mm. I could only get community by giving, you know, by giving myself. Mm. So you Do you have an example or just a thought on a time that you got by giving? 
Yeah, I, I think um, to me, one of the most important um, things to give is time. And and time, the way I sort of frame this, time is the most important currency. And and when I give that and intentionally give that to others, that's how you build meaningful relationships. And it, it's something that I I've tried to do or be more conscious of. And it is about investing time in the to build relationship capital. Yeah. Right. Because when you do that, when you build up that bank um, with with others, you, you also have the opportunity to draw from it as well when when you need it. And it isn't just about giving time because you'll receive an outcome. It is about because that just may continue to grow and grow and you may never need it. And that's OK, because it's actually giving time to somebody else. So they're enriching their own um, sense of who they are. But to me, it's time. And so that then then means that you have to be cognizant of what do you not do to right. to gain time right. and um and that's that that's hard right we're be i mean we we said it you said it earlier at the outset right life gets in the way yeah and and then but you intentionally reached out to me and gave me your time and i gave my time and we connected right so or reconnected so um to me that's like, that's the fundamental um, currency is time. And we have to create more of it and we have to give more of it. And when we do it, that's when we're able to um, build meaningful, sustainable relationships. A wise person said to me one time that we can't make time, we can make choices. Mm. And that is to yeah, me, yeah, you're yeah. just saying it's intentional, yeah. it's a choice and you know, I wish my superpower was that I didn't have to sleep because then I wouldn't have to worry about time. I'd have 24 hours of the day to do so much more. Yeah. But unfortunately, at nine o'clock, I'm like, I'm done. I'm spent. So these four choices that we just explored, and thank you for exploring them with me. Each of these four choices led me to my fifth choice. So picking up the phone, creating uh, or committing to a two-way agreement, building trust and creating community prepared me for my fifth choice, which was to embrace my boundless capacity to give love and to receive love. And for me, that was the hardest choice. And, and so these other four prepared me for that. So I wanna get into this a little bit with you. and. First, a distinction that I want to make is love as an emotion, which isn't a choice, and love as an action, which is the choice of giving it and we're receiving it. And we've had this conversation. Will you just start us out with what does it feel like when you choose to give your love, to give all of your love, and you choose to receive love in return? And it, it feels great. Um, and it, it feels uh, like you, you, you feel this deeper level of satisfaction, this deeper level of happiness. Um, but, but it also begs the question, and you and I talked about that, right? If it feels great when we do it, why do we sometimes withhold love? Yeah. So I, I've sort of reflected on that a little bit. And I think I could crystallize it in one word, which is vulnerability. 
And so, so unrequited love implies that you want something in return. And if you fear not receiving it, then you may not give it. And an unconditional love is about doing something without expectation. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you're aware of that, but uh, Maslow uh, also said this, uh, he supported the unconditional love perspective by saying that in order to grow, an individual has to have a positive perspective of themselves. And when you're able to do that, you can give unconditional love without that vulnerability. And, and so, you know, if I crystallize all of that, right, into just, just saying it doesn't need to be big. It, it's your everyday interactions that demonstrate that. It's those small acts, um, those small examples. And, um, and, and as I thought about that, to me, it's also that definition of integrity. So it was C.S. Lewis who said that Integrity is doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. And to me, that's, that's an example of boundless love. It's, it's advocating for someone when they're not in the room. It's lifting someone up when they don't even realize it. It's having intentional conversations about somebody in a positive context, and they may never hear you utter those words directly to them. And that's an act and a choice that you're making to give love without an expectation that you'll receive something in return. And th those are the small examples that I think represent, I, I think what, you, what you're saying, and they don't need to necessarily be big and grandiose, but they have to be intentional and they have to be an act, as you, as you said. Yes. Oh my God. And, and even like the small things obviously just hit me. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm hit with that because it is so often if I'm getting in this conversation with with multiple people that sometimes it seems so big and it's really not if we make those small intentional intentional choices mm. and so that that hits me. It feels great to give love and to receive love and there's so many reasons I think you nailed the one that I've always dealt with, which is vulnerability. So many reasons why we as a world don't choose to do it every day with every interaction with each person that we we interact with but what if we did mm. yeah it's it's i mean that question is so profound always but it feels particularly profound today as you know as we look at news uh, on our TVs and radios and social media. And it feels like if we were to experience what you just described, the world would be a better place. So how do we do that? We do, we start with our interactions day to day and we try and make some modicum of impact on the world by being intentional about all the things that we just talked about. Imran. Oh, so I will close us with, uh, I believe with my whole heart that when we choose to give love and we choose to receive love, like you and I are doing right now, that creates enduring success and fuels the success of those around us.
And I thank you for just automatically saying yes to join me today and giving me your love. And I for sure am receiving it wholeheartedly. Well, well, thank you. And you know, I, I, I don't know what made me say yes immediately without really thinking about it. But as I reflect on it, it's because of you. It's who you are and your authenticity and your ability to engender that in others, um, I think was probably the reason why I said yes. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. I can't wait uh, to share this with, with everyone. So go, go on with your day. Thank you, Imran, so much. Um, and I will see you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Trish. Thank you for joining me for our Choose and Become interview series. You could find this episode and others at trishkendall.com. Just go to trishkendall.com backslash choose dash become dash interview dash series. Or if you have a question or just want to leave a comment, email me trish at trishkendall.com. <laughs>